Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. There are so many good things in this world that can end up ruining our lives. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But it's true. I find that one of the most dangerous times in life is when everything's going well, because that's the time we turn our hearts away from God and we start worshipping His blessings instead. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and it's great to be back with you again. Today we're going to take a look at some of those blessings from a different perspective. It's one of the great paradoxes of life that the good things in our lives can actually distract us from the best thing in life. It's actually far more common than you may think. Consider a marriage, the most important of all human relationships on this planet. Always has been, always will be. How easy is it for a young couple to get married and then they buy a home and the mortgage cuts in and and so they work longer and harder and in any case, they, they both enjoy what they do. Then children come along and they focus on those as they rightly should and as the months and years slip by, they become so focused on all those other good things that they forget to focus on their marriage and then one day they wake up and they wonder, where did all the love go? Is it a bad thing to buy a home? No. Is it a bad thing to enjoy your work? Of course it isn't. It's great to have a job that really invigorates you. Is it, is it a bad thing for a husband and wife to bring children into the world and, and to love them and to nurture them and to sacrifice for them? No, that's a great thing. In fact, it's hard to imagine a greater blessing than children. None of those things in and of themselves are bad things. They really are. But when it comes to the health of that marriage, if those good things become more important than the best things, the marriage that brought them to pass in the first place, then that, that's a bad thing, a very bad thing. Over the last little while in the program, we've been looking at the nation of Israel through the eyes of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah at a time in their lives where they'd been in exile as slaves because they turned their backs on God to follow after a whole bunch of other things that seemed good in their eyes. And we've picked up the story in Isaiah chapter 43 where God speaks of the amazing grace that is about to befall them. The grace transformation, as I call it. But to bring about change, sometimes we have to let go of some apparently good things, things that are drawing us away from the best thing. Let's pick up this story now in in the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 44, beginning at verse 9. God says this, All who make idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know. And so they will be put to shame. Who would fashion a god or cast an image that can do no good? Look, all his devotees shall be put to shame. The artisans too are merely human. Let them all assemble, let them stand up. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame. Look, the ironsmith fashions it and works it over the coals, shaping it with hammers and and forging it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and he's faint. The carpenter stretches out a line and marks it out with a stylus and and fashions it with planes and, and marks it with a compass. He makes it in human form, with with human beauty, to be set up in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or chooses a home tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it can be used for fuel. Part of it he takes and he warms himself. He, He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Then he makes a god and worships it, makes it a carved image and bows down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. 
over this half, he roasts meat and eats it and he's satisfied. He also warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm, I can feel the fire. And with the rest of it, he makes it into a god, his idol, and bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, save me, for you are my god. They do not know, nor do they comprehend, for their eyes are shut so that they cannot see, and their minds as well so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on the coals, I roasted meat and have eaten. Now shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded mind has led him astray, and he cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a fraud? It's a pretty simple and powerful piece of logic, isn't it? Okay, back then people made idols and worshipped them. Of course, in some parts of the world that still holds true. For the rest of us, though, we make idols out of other things, good things it would seem, jobs and careers and relationships and, and reputations and possessions. Mostly none of those are bad. I mean, the wood that the idol makers used wasn't bad in itself. But they become bad and they become dangerous and they become destructive when we elevate them to a level in our lives where we start believing that they have the power to save us and to make us happy. Because when we do that in our hearts, we have no need of God and he becomes less important in the scheme of things. That's exactly what Israel had done in the first place, 70 years before, which had landed them in this mess of slavery and exile that they found themselves in a mess that God allowed to befall them to bring them back to their senses. They built these idols in their lives, and in effect, they worshipped them instead of God. And it's in the same way that we make idols of things in our lives and worship them in place of God. Can an object make you happy on your deathbed? Can it? Or some prized possession that you'll soon be parted from? No, of course not. They're powerless. It doesn't make any more sense than taking a bit of wood and using half of it to cook your dinner and the other half to make an idol that you worship. God's grace is completely and utterly amazing. But for God's grace to have its full effect in radically, powerfully transforming our lives, then you and I need to worship just the one God. The God who's poured his grace out on us through Jesus Christ. The God who has the power to transform our lives. So you and I need to renounce some of the things that we've put above God in our scheme of things. Some of the things that are just good things that we've elevated to the wrong level. That'll be most of them. And a handful of them will be the things that we know are wrong. Whichever they are, we need to put them back into their rightful place so that God can be in his rightful place in our lives as the Lord of all. That's where transformation begins. A few centuries later, the Apostle Paul was writing to his friend Titus, and in part, this is what he said, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. In other words, the way we respond to God's grace is to let go of all that stuff, the bad stuff that's crowding him out of the picture, and instead to live our lives as a great big thank you to God for what he's done for us. Isn't that a powerful idea? Simple but powerful. Live your life 
as a big thank you to God for his grace. Wow. Now, there's a transformed life right there, right? Of course, you're going to make mistakes along the way. But when we just say thank you to God the best we can, with every thought and hope and and deed, just imagine how powerfully God will work in us and through us. That's where it's at. Those idols, those, those other things that we've elevated to the wrong level in our lives, they can't deliver that. In fact, quite the opposite. They end up being burdens that weigh us down because they're imposters. The only thing that lifts us up, the only thing that sets us free, the only thing that brings the change that we need in our lives is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. Sometimes life dishes up stuff that we'd rather it hadn't. And as we struggle with that stuff, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that in all likelihood, God is up to something good, changing us from the inside out in ways that we don't quite understand at the time. That's why I love to send you a free copy of my latest life application booklet. It's called The Grace Transformation. And with the life application questions at the end of each chapter, you'll be able to chew things over to really apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. Because God's Word is alive and active. Amen. So I'm praying that through this booklet, He'll help you lay hold of the freedom that Jesus died and rose again to give you so that you can become all that he created you to be. You can request your free copy right now, The Grace Transformation. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and we'll send it straight out to you in the post. Again, that's ChristianityWorks.com or 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Bernie Diamond, and I'll catch you again same time tomorrow with a different perspective. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 